take our Bibles this morning and we'll open them up to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. We're only going to do a portion of this psalm. It's a great psalm about the history of Israel and the history of God's chosen people and what he does for them and how he uh, provides for them and and protects them and uh, the reason why he does it, the reason why he does it. Uh, We're going to read, I'm going to read the, the last portion beginning in verse 37. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts, enliven us, Lord, to what your word says, that we might understand what it is that you have for us and who receives these things. Lord, that we might live in the midst of your promises, live in the midst of the uh, plain things that you tell us, live in the midst of all that you provide for us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 105 Verses 37 through the end. Then he brought them out with silver and gold, and among his tribes there was not one who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to illumine by night. They asked, and he brought quail and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock, and water flowed out. It ran in the dry places like a river, for he remembered his holy word with Abraham his servant, and he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations, that they might take possession of the fruit of the people's labor, so that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. You can see some of the highlights. Again, this psalm just kind of highlights the history of the people. He brought them out with gold and silver. Remember, um, they were slaves, and when they they hit the road to get out of Egypt, uh, they basically took all the riches of Egypt with them. The people were glad just to have them go. They were tired of those plagues coming down upon them. The Lord gave them a cloud in the day, fire by night. They had manna every day when they were in the wilderness, and then they went, oh man, I'm so sick and tired of man. I wish we had some meat. So the Lord gave them quail, and literally it says, until it came out their nostrils, okay? It doesn't say it here, but in other places, okay? Uh, it touched the rock, the rock, water came out of the rock, and, and all this is because of the promises that he made to Abraham. Okay? And then we get to the point of to why he has done this, why he has shown such abundance to his people that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. That's why. That's why. So we're going to begin a, a short series, four or five weeks here, on a very large topic. And it's one of those topics that we could delve into uh, oh, just for a long, long time. But we're just going to hit the highlights of it, and it's on God's abundance. God's abundance. Now, I don't want you to think that we're going to do a health and wealth gospel for the next few weeks. We're, we're not going to do that. Um, 
And, and, and it's not a study on how God blesses faithful with, with material things That's in health. That's health and wealth. Uh, as believers, we may have material things, and we may be healthy. Uh, but we may not have material things, and we may not be healthy, but that does not change what the Lord does in our lives. So when we talk about an, an abundant life and the abundance that God gives us in his word, uh, we have to understand that the word abundance is defined by the Lord, not by us or the way society around us thinks of abundance. The guarantee is what? Seek ye first. I won't say seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So the first thing you seek is the Lord and his righteousness. And then the Lord adds to you according to his definition of what you need. That's what we do. The guarantee is that God will supply my needs if I'm seeking Him. The guarantee is that He will work all things for the good of those who belong to Him. He is the definer of good. Okay, Don't think that, oh, well, Lord's just going to give me all the good things that I say are good. Mm, he's going to define what is good. He's going to give those to you if you belong to Him. Good might not be what we like. But good is defined by our Heavenly Father. We can't assume that I know better than Him. I know better than the one who created me. I know better than the one who knows the hairs on my head. Uh, because there's less today than there were yesterday. Right? And He knows that. And He's the one who understands what I need. Not me. Did you ever get something that you prayed for and decided it wasn't such a good idea to pray for that? Well, that is, you know, you have to be careful what you pray for, okay? Because the Lord may say, okay, you've been praying for this for years. I'm going to give it to you just so you learn. Oh, that's an awful thing that to find out you've been praying for the wrong thing. But there's also an expectation in receiving the Lord's abundance. There is an expectation of our activity in this, our faithfulness our growth in Christ, our application of the truth in our lives, our obedience to God's words. These are some of the things that we have to do in order to experience the abundance that the Lord has for us. God's abundance to those who are His comes in many forms. I mean, it comes to those who are His. Let's first understand that, who are His. It comes to us in times of grief. It comes to us in the form of sustaining grace. It comes to us in the form of suffering as well as comfort. And it comes out of his great love. That's why he gives his abundance. He gives it to us because he loves us so that what? We might keep his statutes and observe his laws. So that we might live out holiness and holy lives. So our first look at the theme of, this, of God's abundance in our lives comes out of this Psalm 105. And as I said, it breaks down into areas of, of, of the history of Israel from the earliest days to going in Egypt, coming out of Egypt, all that the Lord provides for them as they come out, and the days in the wilderness and how he cares for them. Uh, so this really, our section is about his provision for his children as they are in the desert wandering around. When we look at the history of the, the chosen people of Israel, we're often drawn to all the things that they had to go through. Oh, man, 40 years wandering around the wilderness. Why? Because it wouldn't, they didn't ask for directions? Is that the problem? No, because they were sinful. 
because they didn't do what the Lord wanted them to do. So they're wandering around the desert, and, and, and we see all that they had to suffer and all that they had to go through and just, just to get to where the, the promised land was. But that shouldn't be our focus in, in all of this. Our focus should be on what the Lord provides for them, even though they were disobedient, even though they're, 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 the Lord brings these plagues upon Egypt, the greatest country, the greatest nation in the world at that time. He completely destroys them just so he can get his people out so that they may worship him. And he they gets them out in the desert and he, he destroys the Pharaoh's army in the sea. And, and, you know, they're not out in the desert very long and all of a sudden it's like, hey, let's make an idol and let's worship an idol. Or then they start to complain, oh man, shouldn't we go back to Egypt unless we had onions and garlic back there? I know we were slaves, but at least we could eat. Lord, are you? We we would ask this question. Lord, are you sure this is the people you want? Are you sure? Couldn't you find somebody better? And and he said, No, these are my people, and I'm going to get them where they need to be. So it's really a story of what the Lord does in His chosen people's lives, again and again and again. He does these things, and just in this psalm, I'm going to go through a list very very quickly. He remembers. He made the covenant with Abraham. He can. It with Jacob. He allows no one to oppress them. He rebukes kings on their account. Uh, he summoned a famine in the land. He turned their hearts to hate his people. Uh, that was he was controlling the hearts of the Egyptians to hate the people of Israel. He sent Moses. He sent darkness. He turned the waters into blood. He spoke and there came flies and gnats. He gave hail. He struck down their vines. He spoke and locusts came. He struck down the firstborn. He brought Israel out. He spread a cloud. He opened the rock. He remembered his holy promise. He, 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 he. Where was Israel? They're just doing what he tells them to do most of the time. But the Lord is working to care for his people. The Lord is working to rain down on his people all that they need to get them where they need to be. Whether they realize it or not in this whole process. Because there are plenty of people, plenty of the Israelites coming out who just are along for the ride. They are not faithful and it, it, it shows clearly. But yet the Lord is watching over his people. Now, let's not pick on the Israelites too much because they they were in slavery for 400 plus years. I mean, they were brought in that nation and the Lord's promise and the Lord's provision. And over the time, you know, a new Pharaoh comes who knew not Joseph. And before you know it, they are slaves and they're the ones building the the cities and they're the ones in bondage. And and generations died without seeing the promise. I mean, generations and generations died without seeing the promise that the Lord had promised them to fulfill them, to free them. Now, why does it happen that it seems often, sometimes even necessary for people to struggle, for people to face trials? Um, before they see the abundance of the Lord. 400 plus years before they saw the Lord's answer and the Lord's abundance in their life. Um, have you been struggling for 400 years yet? Oh, no, you, you know, but, but yet we struggle in our lives. And we, th- and we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I, uh, where, where are the promises? When, when are they going to be fulfilled in my life? I mean, you, you promised to take care of me. You promised to watch over me. You promised to, to protect me in these things, but yet I'm not seeing that yet. Well, that's from the human perspective. That's not from God's perspective. Remember what I said earlier? He promises to provide 
good, work out all things for the good of those who believe. Good is defined by him, by him. Now, many have tried to explain why we have to struggle, why we have to suffer. I mean, um, I went to the, the people, uh, the greatest strugglers and sufferers that I know, uh, Russian authors, okay? Russian authors are known for just terrible depictions. If you've ever read, you know, Crime and Punishment or Brothers, Karamazov, Dostoevsky, he just goes on and on for pages about this. I just got one little sentence. Dostoevsky wrote, pain and suffering are always inevitable for a large intelligence and a deep heart. The really great men must, I think, have great sadness on earth. I don't know. I don't know. Theologians and philosophers have written long, that's what they do, they write long books about this kind of stuff too. And you can find answers that some people are satisfied with and some people are not satisfied with. But I believe the best answer is given right here in this psalm for us today. And usually we like answers. We like, because when you go and you have a question, you want an answer that in a sense can be given to you and you can walk away with that and say, yes, I have my answer. The answer here in Scripture is to, to the question of why these things happen and why they go on in our lives. The answer requires things from us. It is God's abundance, and it is God's purposes, but we will not know those things and experience them until we are obedient and pursuing God with all that we have. So let's look at the final couple verses here, uh, 43, 44, and 45. And he brought forth his people with joy, his chosen ones with a joyful shout. He gave them also the lands of the nations that they may take possessions of the fruit of the people's labor. So God is settling his people in the promised land and he tells us the purpose he has for allowing all that has gone on in their lives. The suffering, the struggles that they have had, um, you know, why he saves his people. Maybe you've asked yourself that question too, like, the great theological question, why am I here? Or a philosophical question. The theological question would be, why did God redeem me? Why did God forgive me? I mean, why did he pardon my sin? Why would he accept me? Why, why did he change me from what I used to be to what I am now? I mean, what, what's he doing? What's the goal in all this? What's the purpose of God in all of this? Well, remember, the psalmist says he brought his people out with joy. There is joy in this process in this process of of uh, shaping and forming us into the likeness of Christ uh, they took possession uh, why did they take possession why did all these things go on so that they might obey the lord so that they might understand what he says so that they might live it out and that's exactly what Mo- god told moses to tell his people back in exodus 19 you yourselves have seen what i did to the egyptians and how i bore you up on eagles wings and brought you to myself now god does not say that that you were such a great people that i went and got you he doesn't say that you did such good things that i saved you he says i did this for you He didn't save them because they were good. He didn't save them because they cooperated with his plan. He just came and saved them. And now because he saved them, he had certain expectations for their lives. He says, I bore you up on eagle's wings. 
Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. You shall know all the earth is mine and what I have for you. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what the Lord has done. That is the expectation of obedience in their lives. They were not saved by holiness. They were saved to holiness. They were saved to be a holy nation. They were saved in order to obey God. And the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is the purpose of what he has done. We were saved in order to fulfill the purpose that God has created us for. And it's, it's to be a reflection of his image. To glorify him. To be his hands and feet in this world. To delight in him more than anything else that we have in this world to delight in our Heavenly Father, to take joy in doing what He wants us to do, then take joy in obedience. You know, sometimes you, you can see in my dog's face. He's out there, and he's a big sniffer. Okay, maybe you have dogs that are sniffers, and just he gets on a scent, and he, you know, just sometimes you have to go and get close to him and move him away because he's so intent. So sometimes I'll stand on the porch and I'll call. I say, Chester, Come! And, and he doesn't pay attention. Now I have to yell it. And he looks up and you can see the tension. But this smell is so good. Okay, Why do I want to obey you when I have this good smell right here? And that's a, you know, how many, that translates into our lives. Why do I want to obey God when I've got it good here? Okay, I'm, I'm happy here, I'm, and he wants me to do what? You've got to be kidding me. But you hear this voice from God. You see in his scripture, this is how you live in holy obedience to his life. But you say, I'm happy here. You know, I'm just doing what I like. Why should I stop doing what I like just because God's word says either that's wrong or he wants me to do something else? See, we're saved so that we will understand that there's a joy in obedience. There is a joy in conforming our lives to what his word says, a joy in the abundance that he gives us when we are obedient. Oh, years and years ago, God gave me this illustration. He said, when is a train free to be a train? When it's on the tracks. Get a train off the tracks, what is it? It's junk. Okay, because it's not going anywhere. It's just a big paperweight. Put it on the tracks and it can go like grease lightning, okay? But if it's not on the tracks, it's junk. Well, think about that for a moment. When are you free to be all that God has intended you to be? When you're within His will. When you are obedient to His word. Does He say you're free to go off and do whatever you want? Yeah, He does. He says, if, if you don't want to be obedient, that's fine. Don't expect things to be hunky-dory. Don't expect you to go where you're supposed to go. You, if you want to go over there, that's fine. But if you want to be everything that the Lord has for you, you need to be in obedience to him. Then you can experience his abundance. And you ask, oh, man, I'm over here and I'm happy in this world, but, but you know, there's something missing. I don't wonder why I'm not receiving the Lord's abundance. Why am I not understanding these things? That's because you're over here. You're not over here in obedient living. You're over here in Randy living and where, where Randy wants to live and what Randy wants to do. Oh, it feels good, but it's not where I should be. Good defined by Randy, not good defined by the Lord. 
So we're not saved by our works. We're saved to works. We're not saved by our holiness. We're saved to holy living. We're not saved by our godliness. We are saved to be godly. We're saved for the purpose of being what God created us to be in the first place. When we do that, we know his abundance. We will know his abundance. There are two kind of views here. When we, when we look at these things. Every so often on the way in on Sunday morning, uh, I listen to this guy on the radio just so I can get aggravated. Um, there, there are two good guys on the way in. One is Alistair Begg. That's good. Okay, if you listen to Alistair Begg, that's good. This other guy uh, on a different channel, he's not so good because he is convinced that you're, you're saved, Christ saves us, but you must add to that different things. You must add to that. You must be baptized to be saved. You must do good works. Your life must reflect these things. And if they don't, then, you, then you're not saved. And, and it's, not like, well, it's not like, well, there's no evidence of grace in your life. No, you have to add these things to the work of Christ in order to be saved. Like, really? So the perfect sacrifice of, of the spotless lamb was not sufficient, was not efficient to save me. But my... Feeble works have to be added to the work of Christ? Really? And that's, this guy preaches it on a regular basis. And I just, I got other things on my mind, so I don't call, you know. I, I hate to come to church after arguing, you know, on the phone. What do you mean? That's crazy theology. I can't believe that. Um, well, the other side of that coin is those who believe in, in grace that is given to you, and then you can go and live however you want to live because you have received grace. And once you've got that grace, it can't be taken away from you, uh, which if you have received it, it is true, but there is no expectation of holiness, no expectation of a changed life. See, and, and they'll say if you have an expectation that your life will change, that turns into legalism, and then you're, you're putting burdens upon me that Christ does not put upon us. Hmm. What does James say? What if a man has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? He's not saying the works save him. He says the faith. It is faith which is given to us, and then it is lived out as evidence of our changed life. Your life is changed. You live because it has been changed, not in an effort to get the faith, to get salvation. You live changed life because you have salvation. It is a joy. Remember, it's a joy to be obedient. That's what, that's what we're after. That's what we're after. It is a joy to be obedient, to live the things of life. Hebrews 12 says, holiness without which no man can see the Lord. You're not living in an effort to get it. You're living because you've been changed. Now it is a pleasure to live a holy life. Because holiness and works and obedience don't add anything to the work of Christ. They are outgrowths of the work of Christ. They are outgrowths of the work of Christ. And they are natural and they are necessary. Are they? Are they necessary to be saved? No, they're necessary because you are saved. You will do those things. You will desire those things because of the whole presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. God never forgives someone without also working within their life in some measure so that they may experience what they have been called to do. And, and the classic one is, well, what... what what evidence did the thief on the cross give of a changed life, right? He said what? 
he, he professed that Christ was the Savior. That was his work. You want to say a holy, what was holiness in his life? It was the declaration of the truth. He didn't have much time to declare much, okay? He wasn't going to be around very long, but he declared what was true. That was evidence in his life. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8 and look at something very quickly here. First couple verses of Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 2, 3, and 4. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. And what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit." Paul is, can be very complex sometimes, it's, but this may sound complex, but it is very simple. The law could not save us. The law shows us where sin is. The law shows us where we fall short. It is grace that saves us. Now, but now that we have this grace, we live out the teachings of the law in obedience to the Lord. He makes it clear the law could not produce a heart that wanted to follow God. Think about that. Your mom says, don't do this. Your heart says, I wonder why she doesn't want me to do it. <laughs> there must be something really cool that happens or really fun, and she just doesn't want me to do it. So when she leaves the room, you know, you go and do it. Oh. The law has this, this issue sometimes in our hearts. The law cannot create in us a clean heart. It cannot create a heart that loves holiness. That is the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives. When Christ comes into our lives and the Holy Spirit enters us and, and lives within us, it creates in us a heart that desires obedience. Jeremiah says it's written on our hearts so that we will want to do it. It's a new covenant that's written on our hearts. And how, do these, how does this function? How does this live out? Well, K. Anders Erickson and two others did a study back in the early 90s um, at the uh, Berlin Academy of Music, looking at the very best musicians okay, and what that meant. How did they get to be the very best musicians? And they came to the conclusion that nobody is born as a best musician. I mean, you might have an, ap an ap aptitude, um, you know, Foot, we're, we're inundated with football. I don't have an aptitude for football. You've got to have an aptitude to start. You've got to have the body, all right? Um, this body was not made for football. But he says it, it didn't just float effortlessly to, this, to Carnegie Hall and play solos. That just didn't happen. But what did it take to get the person there? And there's a, a differentiation in levels of who has even the potential to get there. And and everybody who's a musician or a person in sports is going to understand. There's one word that will get you to the top more than anything else, and that word is practice. Oh, isn't that, that's an awful word, isn't it? Practice, because you're drummed up. You've got the, the, uh, 
the metronome going, and it's tick, 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 and you're working out all the rhythms and everything. It just makes you crazy, okay? But practice is what separates the best players from the next level down. They found that this distinguished top players, what distinguished the top players from the very good players was the number of hours that they were willing to practice. And, and they have this magical, whether this, this, um, this number has uh, significance, but they came to a conclusion this magical number was 10,000 hours of practice. So that's two hours every day for 13 years. So if you start when you're five, by the time you're 18, you've reached a level where you can possibly get to the very highest place. Now Malcolm Gladwell in his book The Outliers takes this and he, he kind of applies this in other places and he does some, some study on uh, hockey players and, and how many hours they put in. He does uh, on uh, computer geniuses and how did Bill Gates just be such a computer genius? Because he spent hours and hours and hours in the computer lab. Okay, so uh, hockey, chess grandmasters, computer guys. How did the Beatles develop to be such a force? Well, between 1960 and 1962, they played 270 nights over the course of 18 months in small clubs in Hamburg, Germany. So by the time that they burst on the scene in 1964, they had played live 1,200 times or more. Practice, practice practice why you know I thought I was a cello player the first day I got my cello I said man I'm a cello player I'm still waiting to be a cello player okay it'll come practice practice that that separates in a sense the men from the boys the people who achieve the people who don't achieve and the same principle applies in our Christian life you have been given in a sense here's your cello okay now practice. Here is your faith. It is a gift that is given to us. Paul says it. The psalm is, is telling us this. Because the day you became saved was not the pinnacle of your faith. It is the start of your faith. Are you saved forevermore? Yes. There's no going back. The Lord's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, well, gee, I saved you, and, and you didn't really amount to much, so I'm going to dump you and go to somebody else. No, he's, you've been saved. Now put it into practice. Well, what do I do? Ah, he's given us the guidelines. It tells us exactly what we do, how we are to live our lives. Put those into practice. So we reach the point where I say, I want to be holy. I want to demonstrate the character of the Lord in my lives. In my life, he is loving. I want to be loving. He is kind. I want to be kind. He is generous. I want to be generous. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts and enables us to achieve these things. Um, so, so, you know, what does the Spirit call you to do? He calls you to be obedient. He enables you to be obedient. And you won't know how abundant God is until you are. You say, I'm waiting for God to be abundant to me. And maybe he's saying, I'm waiting for you to be obedient to me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today and and you have so much for those who belong to you. Your care and your love, your support, your sustaining grace. The list goes on and on and on. And, and you say, I, I have it for you. But you won't experience it 
until you begin to live out the faith that I've given to you. Until you put into practice these things which, which my word lay, lays out for you. Until you desire them. Until you want them more than you want the things of this world. Fix in our hearts these truths, Lord. Because we want to know all the good that you have for us. We want to know everything that you have for us because it will cause us to be more like you, more conformed to the image of your Son. It will cause holy living. It will cause godliness. It will cause growth in the things of Christ, in our understanding of who you are and how you want us to live and all the things that you have for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.